Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. The following program was previously broadcast. Speakers who come to university campuses we also interview. And that's our guest uh, today, uh, Dr. Randy Galuza, uh, who is a speaker for the Institute for Creation Research. And Randy, welcome to our program. Well, thank you so much. I enjoy being here. And uh, you are with uh, ICR. Uh, tell us just a brief summary of what ICR is and how you got involved with them. Great. The Institute for Creation Research is, as it says in its title, a research organization where we have a staff of scientists and we do scientific research primarily in, right now in the area of genetics and in intelligent design in some areas in geology, which we show that the scientific evidence is confirming biblical truths, particularly as it relates to the origins of the universe, the origins of this earth, and the origins of life. Great. And uh, now I was familiar with ICR when it got started, and uh, the first decades were in Southern California, in San Diego. But now, where are you located, and what's the size of your staff? We're located in Dallas, Texas. We moved there in 2000 years, in 2007, after about um, for almost 40 years in Southern California, in San Diego. We have a staff of nine research scientists and a support staff of probably Oh, 30 to 35 additional people who make sure that our needs are taken care of and then we can go on the road and everything works out there. Tremendous. And uh, tell us what your background in science is. What are your degrees in and, and uh, how did you get involved with the ICR then? Well, my relationship with ICR started way back in the early 1980s. I became friends with one of the uh, co-founders of the Institute for Creation Research, Dr. Dwayne Gish. And we became very good friends over the years. And he was somewhat like a mentor to me and mentored me in many ways in advising me of what kind of education I should get and how I should make steps throughout my career. I actually, I started off as an engineering student at South Dakota School of Mines and Technology and was there for a couple of years and felt the Lord was leading me into the ministry. And at that time I transferred after two years to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Okay. While I was at Moody, wasn't sure exactly what the Lord was wanting me to do, whether I should be a pastor or a missionary or do inner city work. And one day in the library, I picked up a news magazine, never heard of it before, called Acts and Facts. It is the news magazine of the Institute for Creation Research. And I could see it was related to science. So I took it back to the little cubicle, read it, and right then my eyes were opened. As I mentioned earlier, it seems like the Holy Spirit just opened my mind mm. and I could see that these were real scientific truths. And over the next few months, just waited for that magazine and felt the Lord was leading me into the creation science ministry. And that's what started me on a trek to get additional science degrees under the advice of Dr. Henry Morse initially to finish off my engineering degree, which I did, and then practiced as a professional engineer for about 10 years. And then Dr. Gish said, well, if you're really interested in doing this ministry, you should learn some biology and you should get a doctorate. Well, that was a daunting task because I had a family and expenses and things. But the Lord opened the door to go to medical school, which mm -hmm. was a, a good way to, to get that doctorate. So I transferred to the University of Minnesota, got the MD degree, 
and uh, was serving in the Air Force for some time because they paid for medical school and the Air Force also needed to have an education in public health, so I went to Harvard to get a master's in public health, okay. which I thought would also be useful for this ministry. Right. And retired in 2008 and started working full-time for the Institute for Creation Research then. Tremendous, tremendous. So you've been around some different avenues, and uh, even the Air Force, and but here at the Institute for Creation Research, you're a speaker uh, on in a variety of locations. And uh, tell us a little bit about your schedule. How often do you speak during the year, and uh, and what are your main audiences? Well, they keep me quite busy. I speak about forty times a year, forty different events a year, and on the road probably twenty five weeks of the year. So they try to combine multiple events with one trip uh, for economic reasons and to um, further the impact of that trip. Uh, I primarily speak at uh, churches and conferences, apologetics conferences like these. And I also speak at some colleges and universities, Christian colleges and universities, such as San Diego Christian College or um, the Master's Seminary, Master's College, places like that. So I go to quite a few Christian schools. And I'd, I'm also tapped to go to quite a few secular colleges as well. And recently I've been to um, University of Wisconsin at Oshkosh and Michigan Tech and Colorado State University, and I think East Tennessee State University recently, and a few other schools like that. So we get out and we try to bring this message of creation to the students at the campus and get them exposed to things that they've probably never heard before. Right. Okay. And uh, as we talked earlier, you said you became a Christian in high school, uh, but uh, at that point you still believed in evolution uh, for quite some time. And uh, and so we're not saying that somebody can't be a Christian and, and believe in evolution, but we're saying uh, what about the, the importance of this subject in relation to the Christian faith and to the belief in the Bible? Well, that's true. I became a believer because when I was presented the gospel was that I was a sinner who needed to repent of my sins and seek forgiveness from the Lord and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that was what I was presented. And actually, I struggled with the whole idea that I was a real sinner. I thought, okay. I thought you know, you had to be a real bad person <laughs> right. to be you a sinner. You never robbed a bank or killed then, anyone. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, coming to faith in Christ was really turning from my uh, sin and turning to Christ. And of course, the standard of God is perfection. And as we read in uh, in Titus, I think it says, "If you've broken one of the commands, you're a lawbreaker." So we're guilty of all That's right. before God, and fall, fall far short, no matter how uh, high our morality is. And He even sees our secret thoughts, which exactly know, we may not think are very uh, condemning. But uh, God's standard again is perfection, even in the thought life. Exactly, and I didn't I didn't understand that. And so I was comparing myself with other people and thought, well, uh, I guess compared to other people, I'm no no better, no worse than the average person, and God would probably accept me. And someone said he, he doesn't grade on a curve, so <laughs> I, I learned that too. But as far as what I was taught in regard to evolution, I didn't even discuss it uh, with anybody at the time of my salvation, and I was inclined towards science, and so I believed what the what my teachers told me, and I firmly believed in evolution. And in fact, the first, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, the first time I heard Dr. Henry Morris speak on the radio, I laughed at him and said, oh, he's making Christians look foolish. He's holding to 
anti-scientific things which will make us look silly in the eyes of the world. And I was not, I was not really thinking scientifically myself at the time. For one, I didn't have any scientific answers to the things he was saying. Right. It was just a knee-jerk emotional reaction to what he was saying, and I wasn't really contemplating it, and I wasn't really thinking deeply about it. I was just going on faith that what I had been taught in school was an unbiased, unprejudiced way of looking at science, which I found out to be wrong. And I think deep down inside, I was really afraid of what other people would think of me. There's a, in the scientific world, in the intellectual world, there's a real fear of man, fear of man's thinking. And nobody wants to be thought of as foolish or ignorant or backwards. And that's a very terrifying thought in the scientific world. And I think I was, I think I was caught up in it. And I think a lot of Christians are caught up in today, this fear of man rather than the fear of God or the approval of man rather than the approval of God. Right. And so that was your reaction to it. And, uh, but uh, obviously you uh, began to think about it and, and uh, changed your view. Oh, yeah, changed it. Changed it. Uh, I, it wasn't really, unfortunately, I have to say as well, it wasn't really a biblical change because I hadn't been studying the Bible seriously on this. It was picking up that newsletter, the Acts and Facts from the Institute for Creation Research in the library at Moody, that I read it and I read scientific evidence supporting intelligent design, supporting a supernatural creation of life, confirming exactly what the scripture said. But as I read that, I said, wow, this makes much more sense. This is explaining observations much better than the evolutionary things that I had been taught. And I flipped my position from a scientific argument, not necessarily originally from a biblical argument. Okay. So the science backs up uh, a biblical position. Oh, it creation. certainly does. And now I, I look at it and I say, well, the, the biblical position is very, actually very clear when you see it in the scriptures, and it's very important. But my transformation was, was looking at the science, and I saw that the science of evolutionary thinking made no sense, no sense at all, no sense in regard to the origin of life, no sense in regard to their assertions that one type of creature can change into a fundamentally different type of creature, which has never been observed. There's a, there's a lot of problems with it. Right. And, uh, uh, and many college students lose their faith because they believe if you believe in evolution, then you can't accept the teachings of the Bible. Well, that's the way they're presented in. That's the way they're presented by a lot of professors, without a doubt. And that's the way they're presented in the major scientific journals. And if the assertions that they make in those journals were true, that um, one creature can change into a fundamentally different type, that we are all descended from one universal common ancestor, that you and I as human beings had an ape-like ancestor at one time, um, if those things were true, then of course you really couldn't believe the scripture because those fly directly in the face of certain scriptural teachings that organisms reproduce after their kind, which is a truism, and that Adam and Eve were supernaturally and specially created by God, and there was not an ape-like ancestor, and that organisms are fundamentally discontinuous and not continuous. So I could go on and on. There are, right. there are so some the, major contradictions. And so these are some of the things that you share in your lectures as you travel to the university campuses and expose students to a different perspective than they're getting. Exactly. And so... The problem is that most people don't know that the science behind those evolutionary assertions is extraordinarily weak. 
extraordinarily weak. And the whole evolutionary scenario is compiled with just one mystical story uh, connected to another story without really good scientific evidence supporting it. And that the evidence for it are always appeals to things that have never been seen in the past. So that's not based on real science, which is based on observation and testing. There are always appeals to extrapolations of events far, far, far beyond what the evidence will support. In other words, you see a little variation in a bacteria, you see the variations in coat color of mice, ergo you can explain the origins of mice. Mm -hmm. You see appeals to explanations which are very counterintuitive to human experience. For instance, in all of human experience, when we see multiple parts working together for a purpose, complexity, or we see intelligence, such as in plans and specifications, which essentially what your DNA is, that the origin of that is always an intelligent source, always. And so why should I assume when I see those in life <clears throat> from an evolutionary perspective that it wasn't an intelligent source? So you have these counterintuitive explanations. And they, they appeal to magical words that flow from their scientific literature, like water, magic words like arose, gave rise to, appeared, burst onto the scene, evolved itself. Uh, these, these words don't explain anything mm -hmm. scientifically. Right. They just jump over huge gaps of, of information. And as an evolutionist, I didn't even really think seriously about those words. But now, I, but now when I see them in the literature, I think, wow, that's really just jumping over a, lo a lot of complexity which needs to be explained. My guest for this broadcast has been Dr. Randy Galuza. He's with the Institute for Creation Research out of Dallas, Texas, and a speaker uh, in a variety of settings, including uh, quite a, a number of uh, university and college campuses today. And uh, Randy, thanks for joining us for this edition of The Lion's Den. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a joy to be here. You have been listening to The Lion's Den University Reports. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact The Lion's Den or one of the guests, Please write us at The Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844, or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.